Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And I am sitting in a hotel room in Jacksonville, Florida, with about 200 degree heat and humidity. And I am joined by a new guest. I have with me biblical scholar Michael Heiser, the author of The Unseen Realm, which is a book I highly recommend you read. And we're going to have some conversations about spiritual warfare. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, I thought I'd kick it off and kind of set the stage by saying that when it comes to the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom of God, there has been and is presently intense spiritual warfare in the heavenly realm between God and his agents, celestial agents, and between Satan and the demonic world and all who are in league with him. We see the warfare in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And I'm thinking about Luke 10, where we really get a picture of... Mm -hmm what's happening in the heavenly realm as the apostles go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom mm -hmm. and then the scene shifts to the heavens and we see satan falling from heaven mm -hmm. we also know and you've talked about this extensively that what was happening there is jesus was sending out the 72 or the 70 depending on what manuscript you're using mm -hmm. to go to the nations to reclaim them for god and his kingdom the lost nations who were disinherited by the Lord during the Tower of Babel. So that's kind of the opening scene. And Michael, one of the things that I that I see sort of as a motif is that when the Garden of Eden scene closes, we have a man obeying an angel. When the wilderness scene closes, the wilderness where Jesus was tempted, which really is a replay of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we have a man ordering an angel. And this is the position that the Lord has called us Two, that we have dominion over principalities, powers, and all that's tied into the unseen realm on the dark side. I say, let's just talk about it. By angel and those references you're talking about, when I hear angel, I always wonder, are we talking about the job description? Or are we talking about just a, a supernatural being? Yeah. And in this case, Satan. Yeah. In both instances. Yeah. I'm using it loosely to describe a celestial being. Yeah. But he was certainly ranked over angels. Yeah. Let's backtrack to the terminology a little bit for the sake of your listeners. I don't do this so much in, in Unseen Realm, but in the follow-up book in Angels, the first chapter, you know, and I, I try to go from Old Testament to Second Temple period, Intertestamental period, and then New Testament in that book. But the first chapter deals with terminology in the Old Testament because that's naturally where we start. And, <clears throat> you know... In that literature, you know, Hebrew Bible, and you know, it, it, it starts to transition a little bit in the intertestamental period, but in that period, you, you basically can take all the terminology for celestial beings and stick them into one of three buckets. There's the ontological bucket, terms that describe what a member of the heavenly host is. And I'm thinking like things like spirits. Okay, mm -hmm. it, t it tells you, you know, qualitatively what this thing is. Okay, 
And then there are second bucket would be terms that speak of rank or hierarchy. Sons of God is one of those because that's a that's a description drawn from ancient Near East, specifically the royal court. You know, in a biblical thinking, God is king. He has a court, you know, heavenly host and whatnot. Sons of God is, is a term that uh, would have been used in in royal context for sort of an elite entourage. Mm. Um above the household servants and that's actually you know one of the one of the descriptions of the third bucket the third bucket is about roles or job descriptions right uh, angel is one of those cherub is another seraph is another uh, the, these are these are terms that describe function or role within the rest of the uh, household the bureaucracy mm-hmm. and whatnot so the, the, the problem is for some, you know, we, we get a little confused when we talk about angelology or demonology on a popular level uh, because our tradition conflates all of those terms. Right. It, it just smashes them all together. Yep. Now, there is some of that going on chronologically. In the, in the intertestamental period, you, you still have a lot of variety. But you have a little less variety, especially when you get to the Septuagint, which is what the New Testament writers are often quoting. And so that's the point of transition. In the Septuagint, yeah, you still have sons of God, you know, the, the huioi theu. I mean, you, you still get that. But you start to get the term angel used more for some of those other things. Right. And by the time you get to the New Testament, it's basically angels are the white hats and demons are the black hats. Right, right. <laughs> you know, even though you have principality you know terminology and and that's different than yes it is you know some of these others but there's this tendency to to kind of smash everything together so when you talk about demonology or angelology with respect to a close look at the biblical text it can be confusing for people you know because we've just sort of grown up you know looking at it this other way and then we also have a huge amount of man-made tradition that also adds confusion to the mix as well yeah. as to what demons are. Yeah, and um, Hollywood's part. <laughs> and Hollywood, yeah, so there you go. One, one of the big things I try to um, I try to prod people to do is intertextuality, uh, and that is how Scripture repurposes Scripture. It's, it's really important. Patterns are important. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, in one of my books I say patterns are more important than word studies. Yeah. Uh, you can learn a lot by observing patterns a lot more than you can like with a Strong's Concordance. But that's kind of the default thing that we teach people to do after they've read their Bible two or three times, you know, use Strong's Concordance. And it has its place, Right. but patterns are more important. Yeah. And I would add to that, Mike, images are yeah. more important. Oh, yeah. And to exegete we, we have images. lost. We have lost that right. because to, of this literalism impulse, yeah, whatever that means. And to exegete the images gives you a totally new look at the scripture and yeah. its narrative than exegeting the words, which is yeah. the common practice. Right, because we're, we teach people to, and again, I understand the impulse, you know, like this thing called literal interpretation. What, what people really mean by that is we, we want to take the words of scripture seriously. And, and yeah, we do. You know, I, I understand that. But people are, are sort of taught to shy away from symbols yeah. and metaphor because those things have become code words in some circles of evangelicalism for not taking Scripture <laughs> right. seriously. Right, exactly. When it's, when it's actually the exact opposite. It, it, 
we never go through through any day. I would I would suggest we probably don't even go through an hour mm. uh, of any day without using words metaphorically or symbolically. That's just the way language works. It isn't always the the first referent that pops into your head when you hear a word. Um, it, it's often we use something very loosely, but since the person we're speaking to comes from the same cultural context, they pick up on it immediately. Uh, and biblical writers were the same. They would use a word like Leviathan, and they really don't mean a dinosaur. Right. Okay, that when they talk about Leviathan, that's a chaos image. It, it re It's an image that represents the way life wasn't intended to be. It's an anti-Eden image. But we don't, you know, we don't have any of that. So, so we, we've lost that context. And so when we read it, you know, again, the literalist, oh, there was really a, there must have been a dinosaur-like creature tromping around in the Old Testament. And, you know, you go off on these, you know, 24, you know, 24-hour day creation trajectories mm. and building it on this observation that is completely wrong. Right. You know, it, it misses the point that the biblical writer was trying to convey. So it's really important. But but back to your, your two examples, you know, you got Genesis where the humans are listening to a celestial being. And then you've got, you know, later in Luke when you have the temptation and even later in that when when uh, you're going back to I saw Lucifer fall like, you know, mm -hmm. Satan Luke fall like lightning from heaven. You're supposed to notice that. Absolutely. You're supposed to notice patterns like that because the New Testament writer presumes, even when they're writing to Gentiles, because they assume the Gentile is going to know the Old Testament through the Septuagint. Right. But the New Testament writer assumes you have enough Old Testament in your head that you're going to pick up what he's laying exactly. down. And, exactly. And, and we often don't, because one is a, one is a mirror reversal image of it the is. other. It absolutely is. And, and that's not accidental. It would be accidental if it happens once or twice in the Gospels. It's but all you, over the place. Right. You, you, you basically can't get through a chapter... That's right. Without that kind of patterning happen. But yeah. but we're not, we read over it regularly because we're not tuned into thinking, uh, let's put it this way, thinking in literary terms. Yeah. You know, when you were sitting in English class in high school, in a lit class, you were taught to analyze the, the written product for these devices. And and once you did that, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the writer actually, look look at what he does there, you know. I would have never noticed that unless my this English teacher that I really don't like, and I can't say I really like this class, <laughs> but unless they pointed it out and made me look at it. But now, I, yeah, I kind of noticed that. Isn't that interesting? You know, and we can pick up on it better maybe through film or, or reading a novel. Right. Because when you, when you watch a, a movie or you read a novel, you, your, your mind just clicks into a different gear. You know that, oh, that, that character I saw at the beginning, I'll bet I'll see them again. Right. Exactly. Or that point of dialogue, I'll bet I'll hear that again. I'll bet I'll see this place again because you, you just intuitively know that the creator, whether it be the director or the, the, the guy who's writing fiction, you know that they are directing you. They're doing things to you. Right. To, to drag you along and misdirect you along the way. I mean, we, we, we sort of know what's being done to us. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we don't realize that Scripture does that too. The, the right. writers are doing that on every page. And the director is the they, Holy Spirit. They want to grab you by the thing. nose and yep. they want to lead you in a direction yep. or they're going to drop a word or a phrase or an image that is supposed to intentionally take your mind back, back to, to another thing. The Genesis or and, and they assume you can connect those dots. Yeah. Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you another example. And this comes out of the uh, Genesis 3 chapter, which 
spiritual war in effect begins there against the kingdom of God. And that is Luke 24, Jesus is incognito, the road to Emmaus. This couple brings him into their home. They don't recognize him. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he breaks the bread and they immediately see that this is Jesus of Nazareth. And what's fascinating, two things are fascinating, Mike. One is the language. And their eyes were open and they knew. Yeah. Now, where, where does we, that come yeah, from? Where have we heard that? <laughs> where does that that's Genesis 3. Yeah, right. And chances are, like, <laughs> if you drill down, the chances are really high that that, that, that Greek lemma there is going to show up back in Genesis 3. Exactly. In the, in the Septuagint. Again, that's intentional. It's Absolutely. not accidental. And, and, Absolutely. And I think the, some of the, your listeners are going to need to hear this. That doesn't happen because the Spirit of God is like mentally capturing the writer's mind and blanking him out and doing right. it, himself, like downloading it into his head. No, it, it happens because the writer has an agenda. Yep. And the agenda is to make you look at your Old Testament and see patterns and see connections. Yeah. And what's fascinating about that, too, is where was Jesus resurrected? In a garden, right? right? He's reversing the fall in that thing. Garden, and, and, gardens and mountains. Exactly. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is what was it that caused their eyes to be open? Well, if you think about it, he reaches for the bread. So where are their eyes going? They're going to his hands, right. his wrists. Yeah. They see the wounds. Yeah. They're, they're and then be, their eyes are open. They're going to be triggered, yeah. And so there's a message there. When you exegete the image... The message is, if you want to see Jesus, if you want to recognize Jesus, if you want to hear Jesus, look for the wounds. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great for us to... We're on the same page, folks. I just uh, met Mike uh, today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked before. Yeah, we've chatted email, by email but We haven't times, met in person until so. now. And look at this. We are speaking the same language. Let's talk about Satan as it relates to spiritual warfare and... I made a list of the things that I found in the New Testament and Old Testament as to what Satan, the devil, mm -hmm. actually does to kind of give us a picture. But yeah, I think it's important that we understand that, at least to simplify this, in the spiritual realm when it comes to warfare in the heavenlies against the kingdom of God, we have three main players that are all distinct, but they're in league with each other. We have Satan, that is the devil. We have demons, which I'm really looking forward to talking about. And then we have this thing called principalities just, and powers. You just like frightening people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did you know that? I understand. <laughs> we don't have to be afraid of any of this. We have authority over it. and Thank God for that. So, here it is. Satan incites 1 Chronicles 21.1. Blinds people's minds to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, accuses. Zechariah 3.1. Tempts. Mark 1.13. Takes away God's word from the heart. Mark 4, 15, Luke 8, 12. Bounds people with sickness, Luke 13, 16. Enters people, John 13, 26, Luke 22, 3. Fills people's hearts to lie or do evil, Acts 5, 3, John 13, 2. Destroys the physical body, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Outwits people, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, Ephesians 6, 11. Harasses people, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Hinders 1 Thessalonians 2.18 performs false signs, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.14 deceives, Revelation 12.9, 20.10, 2 Corinthians 11.1 1. 
condemns people, 1 Timothy 3.6, snares people, 1 Timothy 3.7, 2 Timothy 2.26, has the power of death, Hebrews 2.14, devours people, 1 Peter 5.8, throws people in prison, Revelation 2 verse 10, and he lies, John 8.44. And of course, Satan and the devil, those words translated adversary and slanderer. Mm-hmm. which gives you a peek into his nature. Mm-hmm. I think your your listeners need to, to latch on to the fact that a number of those things that you describe would involve the use of people. In other, yes. words, in other words, it's not like Satan acting as some sort of yes. you know, disembodied ethereal thing that you know, has to flip from room to room. To, you know, it, he uses people to do that. And in, your, in the earlier illustrations, when, at, at your beginning comments about spiritual warfare, you know, spiritual warfare is fundamentally... Uh, about the conflict between two kingdoms. It's not a coincidence uh, when Jesus begins pronouncing, you know, talking about the kingdom in his public ministry, that it coincides with, you know, sending out the 70 and sending out, I mean, he sends out the 12. Again, that, that's that's the Jewish, you know, image mm-hmm. reference, the 12 tribes. I'm here for all 12 tribes. And when he sends out the 70 or 72, I'm here for the rest of the world because that's a reference to Babel, the nations that were disinherited. But that's still boots on the ground kind of stuff. It involves people. Yep. And and it's always like this. But I, I think, you know, we need to, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we need to realize that people, you know, are inextricably involved in this conflict. So that's important because there are a lot of, there are certain camps out, you know, in evangelicalism, but when they talk about spiritual warfare, it's, you know, and, and I I hate to put it this way, but I'm just going to, this is, this is my perception. And, and honestly, I, I think, I don't think I'm very far from being on target here. Um, they'll, they'll do things like incantations, mm. you know, they'll, they'll go in and we'll let, let, let's shout at the, at the demons or something like that, or say an incantation or, you know, uh, you know, some long 25 page prayer, you know, of deliverance and whatnot. And, 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 and the focus kind of becomes this, the object is on, you know, the, 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 the reference point is this thing I can't see as though, you know, I, I have some elite endowment from God that I can see these things and I'm going to target these things for you and we're going to do these these spiritual exercises and, and something's going to happen. And I, I'm not one that would say those kind of conflicts never occur because they do. I mean, I, I know people who've been in certain situations yeah. where, you know, they have encountered something that's otherworldly. But I think most of the time, spiritual warfare is really about advancing the kingdom just broadly i mean being a disciple of jesus you know you're you're believing loyalty you know to jesus and how that works out in life when when it comes down to i have to decide a or b and 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 a is the right choice because it it's loyalty to jesus but it's going to hurt a lot you know that's spiritual warfare when when you do the right thing in the right you know in, in a certain context to deny spiritual evil some sort of victory in your life or in somebody else's life yeah you know, so we, we can't we can't just make spiritual warfare again this sort of otherworldly, magical, Hollywoodish, Harry Potter sort of thing. You know, it, it's right. it's a lot more boots on the ground. You know, and that's again that's not denying that that these, you know, otherworldly confrontations do happen. You know, that's just part and parcel of of the reality in which we live and and the the reality that that biblical theology puts forth. But those confrontations are not separate from the people who are being influenced by right. the demonic realm. People are always involved because always involved. Frankly, it it's about Yahweh's family. Yeah. It's about either either protecting it, 
making it stronger, advancing the kingdom, or destroying that. Right. You know, the, 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 right. You know, humanity is always the object, so humanity is is invariably involved, you know, in these things. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we, you know, we, we project this on this otherworldly thing, and and either we miss or we minimize, or maybe we just, maybe we think it's too boring, that spiritual conflict really is also cannot be separated from from real discipleship and and a lot of people I, I maybe just don't want to hear that because that either makes it hard or boring or dull or something like that and it's like no it it's moment by moment spiritual warfare doesn't just happen when something weird shows up right. you know in the room okay spiritual warfare is is an ever-present conflict and reality that just takes different forms and sometimes those forms are you know otherworldly but in a lot of cases, those forms are just where the rubber meets the road in life. Yeah. And we have to realize that, that it, it's all the same thing. It's just a different expression of it. Well, that whole list that I read, I think, frames it in terms of what you're saying, because we're talking about temptation, we're talking yep. about deception, yep. we're talking yep. about being incited. Yeah, who's the one being deceived? Yeah, exactly. The battleground is the human soul. That's the battleground mm -hmm. for both kingdoms. Both kingdoms want to possess and pull into, of course they do it in very different ways, the human soul. Something I was thinking about when you talk about spiritual warfare being boots on the ground and, and involving people, actually two things. One, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but that doesn't mean that the principalities and powers, Satan and demons, don't work through right. flesh and blood. Right. I mean, that's the object. Right. Those are the instruments. They're, they're the ones you know driving the bus. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So even though a human being may not be you know the enemy, pull back the curtain and we see spiritual warfare, but those people are the objects and instruments. And two examples. One, I have an article on my blog called Rethinking Paul's Thorn in the Flesh. And I'm convinced that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an individual Mm -hmm. from Jerusalem who had followed Paul to the churches he planted <laughs> right. was being used by Satan yeah. to absolutely rip his reputation to shreds to take over the churches yeah. and so it was an individual that Satan was working through that's number one mm -hmm. number two we have this mysterious passage in Thessalonians where Paul tells the church there the kingdom community in Thessalonica I wanted to come to you. I strive to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Mm -hmm. And if you read Acts 17, what you find out is that the local government, the aristocracy there, mm -hmm. put a ban on him. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was the hindrance. So it was Satan operating through yeah, the through, local yeah. government. See, this just reinforces you know, the point you're yeah. making. It's not this amorphous thing going on in the heavenlies that has nothing to do with human beings on the ground. Right. Yeah, it's not like I said. It's not Harry Potter where we. Or, oh, if I just knew the right spell, I could. You know, I could defeat. You know, this power. No, maybe if you just didn't sin, you know, or you, or you just didn't, you know, make this decision, you know, to uh, that would, you know, that really doesn't align with loyalty to Jesus. Maybe if you just didn't do that thing, you, you'd win this battle. You yeah. know, you don't. You don't need an incantation. You just need to obey. But again, it can it can just take a, any number of forms. Um, there's something you said that triggered something. Oh, I, th this week, you know, I part of my presentation, I I put in something about spiritual warfare. It was kind of a my problem is is that when I when I go, especially to a new audience, I have the fire hose problem. <laughs> so I and I and I don't travel anywhere unless I have four hours, and it's still a fire hose, you know. But I I've come to grips with that. I, I live with it. But part of the fire hose was spiritual warfare, mm. and I said, you know, 
you, if you, you want to know what, what supernatural beings that are hostile to God, you, know, you want to know what they really fear, it's math. <laughs> and everybody's looking at you like, what? You know, I don't like math either, but why would they? <laughs> so it's math, you know. And, and so I, I put something up on, on the board about how many people there are in the world. Mm. You know, according to the Pew, the latest like Pew poll, what percentage of that identifies as evangelical? And it's like a, it's like 25 percent. Mm. I said, now evangelicals are supposed to be the ones that understand the gospel and who have embraced it. OK, so let's just assume that. And, and if. if you take 25% of whatever it was, 330 million in the U.S., and we've got like projected by 2020 something. I don't know. We're, we're supposed to have like 10 billion people in the world. And so, so the numbers look insurmountable. But I said, if, if you actually think about this, you take, okay, what's a third? You know, 80 million. If every one of those 80 million evangelicals won one person to the Lord and discipled them this year, now we have 160. If they all do it next year, we got 320. If they all do it the year after that, we got 640. Year after that, we're up over a billion. And it, it just, it doubles. Mm. I said, we're, we're actually going to hit the 10, million, 10 billion mark before it's supposed to get that many. If everybody did this just for one person a year, every year, and every believer did this, and it repeated itself. I said, that's the principalities and powers and the, the, the forces of darkness fear math because they know that the Great Commission can be achieved. And that's the fullness of the, the fullness of the Gentiles idea, which is linked to the second coming and which is linked to their eschatological destruction. So what they really are afraid of is math because they know the Great Commission can can happen. And so the question for us is, why doesn't it? It's a math problem. That's all it is. And if you look at it, I mean, we, we have only ourselves to blame for this. But they know that that their destruction is is achievable. You know, the, the gates of hell will not withstand the church if the church is doing what it's supposed to do. That's a key word there, is supposed to. And I think this is where we get into the gospel of the kingdom, because think in terms of the evangelical gospel and the Great Commission. So often it's about going to heaven, you know, getting your yep. fire insurance. And the actual message that Jesus and Paul preached has been missing to us now. If if you really had disciples who replicated themselves, well, exactly. So you have to have. It's if not you just have that. I prayed an incantation. Right. Exactly. See, the, the in in the math formula, you need all those people to evangelize. Yeah. You yeah. you you have to have that, and it has to be the right message, yeah. and it has to be like you say, disciple, which really is part of the Great Commission, observing all the things that I have taught you. Yeah. One of the things we're up against, too, and this is another episode, is that there is a mindset, it originated around the 1900s, that says what Jesus taught was for the people in the Old Covenant, the Jewish people that he was preaching to. What Paul taught was for the Christians post-resurrection. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, for example, quote-unquote, you read the teachings of Jesus, that's not for us. Mm -hmm. Because we're, we're in the resurrection. Right. Right? Paul, would, Paul would have read the Sermon on the Mount and gone, what? <laughs> like, like, honestly, would Paul have read the Sermon on the Mount and gone, I don't know what this guy is talking about. <laughs> of course not. You know? but, but you're right. I mean, so we're up against think we're that. up against it's the math, but it turns into calculus when you start looking at well the factors. <laughs> what is what's the message? What's really going on? What in the is church? being received? <laughs> you know, what does it mean to receive the message, et cetera, et cetera? And that's sort of where my heart we, beats and we my impede, contribution lies. Yeah, we impede. My point is that Jesus didn't give us an unachievable task. Right. 
it, it, it has become this thing that yeah. we think is unachievable or is overwhelming because we understand that it isn't happening because and, and we can understand why when we look at the at what's going on in churches you know if we ask ourselves why isn't this happening well your you know your work you know gives a lot of that answer well here's why it's not you know again we have only ourselves to blame right that's right you know when it comes down to this but again the the, the great commission actually was not an unreasonable <laughs> yeah and this gets back into the strategies of the enemy you know he deceives he hinders he outwits, etc. And of course, all that is aimed at God's people because that's where the threat right. is to his right. kingdom. You want them destroying themselves. <laughs> right. You want them destroying the people around them. You you want them to be, you know, absorbed with just the craziest point, you know, some, you know, wacky doctrine that, that doesn't conform to, to scripture. I mean, all of that serves your purpose. So, again, if... Sometimes I get I get into these discussions because I, I write you know fiction as well, where I get to be the evil mastermind, <laughs> and so it's like look if I were if I were an intelligent you know supernatural power of darkness at a, at a fairly high level, I, I wouldn't work hard, I would work smart. Yes. Okay. All I need to do is influence by whatever means at my disposal. I've got a lot of means at my disposal because I've been here a long time and I pretty much know what makes humans tick, you know. I mean, I I know what I can do with them. But if I get the ones who will influence the herds, my job's easy. Yeah. I don't need to be in every room. And see, I I personally think there are a finite number of supernatural celestial beings who are in rebellion. Not only from the, the scriptural stories, but... You get the the myriads upon myriads language, you know, mm. for the heavenly host. That is never applied to the ro- well, to the rebels. It's only it? applied to the good guys. You know, so I, I think there is a finite number, but but th- they don't need to be in every room in every house behind under every rock. What they need is to be in control of whatever will move herds. And in our day and age, that's easy to see. It's technology. It's it's media. Mm-hmm. This is what moves herds. So again, if if yeah. I were applying for the job, that's right. <laughs> you know, and I want my job to be achievable and really not that hard. Well, that's, that's what I'm exactly, going for. That's exactly what's happening, sir. You know, what you're describing is what is happening on the ground and in the natural order. And and when we look at these things that Satan does, one of the pictures that emerges is this a this is a very crafty, smart intelligent strategic being um, well, strategic's a good an important word yeah i mean he plots he's deceptive he's crafty he's highly intelligent but the thing for the believer that i want to say to everyone because i mean we can we can fall into the pit that i think many movements do and that start glorifying the dark side right and embellishing or exaggerating its power and even focusing on well, it. look at the way hollywood does that oh yeah you know ho- hollywood knows that people like you know, we like to be scared. We like, you know, to to think that we've we've witnessed something that's out of the ordinary. You know, and so it, it plays on on these sorts of things to make evil look spectacular and you know again otherworldly in, in in the way it manifests and things like yeah. that. But you know, the re- the reality is, it's really about moving herds. I mean, I can't really think of a better way to to put it. And and how do you how do you get the mind of the masses? A lot of it is the way we think. I mean, ideas mean something. They're really important. Oh, yeah. You get people to imbibe on certain ideas and follow certain tra- trajectories, you will get them from point A to point B. 
And now you can take them from B to C and C to D. I mean, you, this is how you steer a herd. You, you influence the way that's, the herd thinks. That's exactly what's happening, unfortunately, at least in the United States and Europe. One of the things I will say about Satan, and again, just to add a footnote to the point we made earlier about exaggerating him or glorifying him or giving him too much attention, is that uh, I came out of a movement that talked more about the devil than the Lord <laughs> because they were so focused on defeating him, right, right. and his power. But the fact of the matter is, Satan, for the believer, the true disciple of Jesus, Satan only has power over you if you give it to him. He can only take ground that you give to him. So, in effect, Jesus Christ has broken his power. If you give him power, then he takes it. And, of course, there's all sorts of things that believers do that give him ground. Yeah, and I think that's the point of the Luke reference. You know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Again, the context is is the is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. So why does Jesus pick that context to say that thing? And and the point is that, you know, Satan, you know, the, the original, you know, primeval rebel is cast down after those events transpire. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's still in God's payroll. Like he's still showing up for work every day, you know, and, and he's, he's been in heaven all this time and it's only when Jesus shows up that he's actually kicked out. No, he... He's he's been removed from God's presence, you know, from the from the get go. So the, the language there, I think, refers to the fact that the kingdom of God is what's going to bring everlasting life. And the family metaphor is important. What I mean by that is this. If you are a member of the kingdom of God, Satan has no authority over you. That's at all. right. There you go. And, and even yeah. though he becomes Lord of the dead at the fall. And he sort of has a claim on everyone because everyone dies. You know, humans followed suit right. in the rebellion. That is reversed if you are a member of the kingdom of God. That's right. So there, so there is literally nothing that that this entity, you know, re- really can hold over your head. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, okay, he can harm you or you know, or use people to harm you. But Jesus says, look, don't don't fear the ones who are able to destroy the body. You, know, you should really, you know, be afraid of the ones who can destroy the soul. You know, and you will tread over serpents, right. and scorpions. So they, I mean, he has no, he has no claim on a member of the kingdom of God. If you are in God's family, he he basically can't touch you. There's nothing he he can hold over your head in in any way. He has no authority. I mean, he can show up and accuse the brethren. Okay, that's one on your list. You know, yep. he does that. But but then he's a prosecutor without a case. Yeah. He's a he's a roaming. He's just lion. flapping his gums. He's a roaming lion who yeah. roars, but you know, in effect, to the believer, right? He can't touch you unless unless, unless, you, unless you give unless him you ground. <laughs> unless you give him ground, exactly. And when I made this list, I also looked at well, well, what is our response to these different entities? And to Satan, it's resist him. Right. James you can't 4. be deceived unless you listen. Right. That's right. <laughs> James 4, 7, Matthew 4, 10, resist him. The other one is don't give him any ground or place. John 14, 30, and Ephesians 4, 27. Paul says don't give place, yeah. don't give ground. Jesus said he has no ground in me. So those are the two major exhortations in terms of dealing with Satan. He actually tried the same thing with Jesus. It's the same tactical approach. Because in the temptation, I mean, think about it. I, I talk about this in Unseen Realm because I take what, what Paul says seriously in 1 Corinthians 2 that, you know, had the rulers of this world known, and I take those as celestial beings because of the way the language is used elsewhere, but had the powers of darkness known like what the result of the crucifixion would have been, they never would have done it. Exactly. You know, they're not idiots. 
So, you know, you, you look back at the Gospels and, and they know who he is. They know who Jesus is when he shows up. And they, and they know kind of why he's there because it's like, okay, why would the Son of God come? Oh, yeah, it's that, that silly kingdom of God thing, you know. So he, he must be here to, you know, you know, try his hand at doing this. And even, the, even a couple parables reflect this. You know, so they, they, they kind of know who he is and they know what the end game is, but they have no idea yep. what the mechanism is. Yep. And so Satan comes to, to Jesus and he offers him just what he wants. I'll deliver the, the kingdoms of the world to you. You know, here they are on a platter, if you'll just bow down and worship me. So I, I know why you're here. You want to rule the earth. You know, you want the nations back and all that stuff. Here they are. You know, I'll, I'll give them to you mm -hmm. if you just bow down and worship me. You know, of course, Jesus knows things that Satan doesn't. <laughs> like, I don't really need your assistance here. Right. In fact, what I need to do is tick <laughs> you off so that you'll go influence somebody to kill me. Yeah. Because that's what we need to happen. Yeah. He doesn't know that. Well, you know what's fascinating, too, about that account in the wilderness and also the accounts where we have Jesus casting demons out, and you listen to what the demons say. Yeah. They're always trying to get Jesus to respond to them on the ground that he is divine, that he's the Son of God, right? And every time Jesus responds, he responds to them as a man. Man shall not live by bread alone. Mm -hmm. That's significant because when God gave dominion to Adam over the earth, he gave it to him as a man. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to tread on the serpent. He was supposed to have dominion over the creeping things. Man. And so Jesus comes not just as the Son of God, but he comes as the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. And you look at those accounts, and they're always trying to, Son of God, they're, they're trying to get him on that ground. Mm -hmm. But on that ground, he can't defeat them, because the way God set it up, it had right. to be a man. Right. And he always responds he saying, to, I'm the man, the son of man. He has to fulfill the covenants because the covenants were made with men, you know, yeah. with humans. And he, of course, has to die. He has to be yeah. have that vulnerability. I mean, there's even another layer to it. I mean, when, when, when Jesus does certain things, he goes certain places. And it, it's typically casting out demons. But when he's in Jewish territory and when he's on Gentile territory, they, the demons actually refer to him in different ways. Mm. It's only son of the most high. That specific language, most high, when he's dealing with uh, a demonic spirit on Gentile turf. And I think that's really interesting because why would why would that response be that? And then over here, it's son of God or son of David, you know, right. something like that on, on Jewish territory. And it, it's, it's an obvious reference, again, to the situation at Babel. Because now your ministry is associated with a Gentile area. Yeah. And you're the son of the most high. And the most high is the one who, you know... A, a lot of the nations of the sons of God who rebelled and all that kind mm. of stuff. So they, I mean, it's another indication that they, they, they know what's, what's the end game is. They know what's going on, but they have no idea right. how this is supposed to work. And, and so if they get duped yep. into doing the thing to Jesus, again, in his weakness as a, as a man, in his humanity, that that's exactly what God needs to happen. Satan was outwitted by the outwitter, and that was the God himself through the man Jesus. Well, this brings up the next group of evil powers, evil spirits in the unseen realm, and that's demons. And I look forward to talking about this, Mike, because I, I think it's fascinating. Like I want to you just want to frighten me. <laughs> Until next time, be good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list 
at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.